Running Light Ministry podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Welcome to the Running Light Podcast this week. My name's Bo. I'm Peter. And we're here to talk to you guys a little bit about sex and, and how it relates to the Bible. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the intimacy of God and how it relates to our sexuality and specifically how it relates to sex, too, because um, everybody gets their ideas of sex from something, right? That's right. You have to. We must. Yeah. <laughs> so when we're kids, we get it uh, in our culture, usually from things like pornography or like entertain. It doesn't have to be just pornography. It can be just entertainment world in general. Yeah. You know. Your parents. Yeah. Your, maybe your relatives. Your, yep. Yeah. Your brother, sister, whatever. Yep. Sometimes it's sometimes it's even we just try as we go, right? You just like <laughs> you, you try different things as maybe a kid. You mess around here, mess around there, and then you kind of go, whoa, you know, and maybe learning some stuff. But, yeah. the, but the Bible, um, you know, it starts with God, in the beginning God. And um, so the perspective uh, from the Bible is that uh, God is the first cause. He's the cause of all things. And so if he's really, truly God, um, you know, then he, he would be reflected in what we do as people. And we would be able to look at him through what uh, uh, to to what he's like through what we do, and it, that would make sense as well. <laughs> so, um, um, so the Bible does start in the beginning, God, and uh, it actually talks about God being a purposeful God, and um, not just purposeful, but what we're going to talk about today is intimate. It talks yeah. about God being intimate. What you know? What do you think about that, Peter? So, I mean, the Bible says in Genesis. Uh, that we were made in the image and likeness of God. So it means humanity, we have a special place in creation in that we are to reflect character qualities of God and we're to reflect his beauty and his excellency to the cosmos. And uh, there are crazy passages of the Bible that talk about that on a, on a cosmic level, which we're not going to get into, but they're, they're pretty gnarly. Yeah. Um, but what that means is that if I was created in the image and likeness of God, that means that to violate a commandment of God or to violate that something that goes against God is to violate my own nature. And that's what Christians believe. We, we don't believe that God gave us commandments out of, uh, out of whimsy, meaning he, he wasn't just sitting up in heaven like, man, you know what? I, I really think that people shouldn't have sex outside of marriage or I really don't think that people should kill one another. That sounds good. And he just wrote it down. But we believe that the law was given as a reflection of the nature of how God operates. And so to violate the law, to go against the law, is to actually violate my own nature, and it's to destroy me. Mm-hmm. Uh, another way to put that, hmm. um, I, I, I mean, we have that great quote from Aldous Huxley, where he says, um, most modern people don't believe in God, or we don't believe in a God that we could really know, because if we believed in a God that we really know, we wouldn't really be free. Because if we had a creator, then we would have a design. And if we had a design, then we would have a way that we would have to operate no matter what you think or feel. And uh, what he means by that is if I take something that was designed, say, let's say a car, and I were to violate its design parameters, I would destroy the car. So if I took your car, Mm -hmm. Bo, and I said, hey, you know what? I think that I was born to be free. I think that this Mm -hmm. car was designed to be free. So I'm going to drive it through the ocean. Yeah, I could do that, but I'm not going to get very far, and I'm going to destroy the car in the process. So what all this Huxley is, is rightly saying, if there is a God and we were designed, 
then there must be design parameters in our creation. Right. So what you're saying is like the Ten Commandments are basically, the reason why they're given is because they're to help us. It's, all, it's a part of our design. That's right. So to, right. to go against those things would be something going against our design, which is, in a sense, uh, uh, we're designed in the image of our Creator. Yeah. So, so because God is perfect... God has instilled in his people, um, has wired in us, um, basically, in a sense, we're, we're destined for perfection. Mm. So anything that is not of that, adultery, all these things like this, God's saying don't do that, don't go those directions, because it's not what God intended for us. That's right. It's not part of the, the wiring. It makes sense. I mean, Psalm 4 says, how long, O sons of men, so he's talking about people, <laughs> um, will you turn my glory to shame? Mm. You know, so people can turn, it's kind of interesting, God's glory to shame by how we misuse um, our our bodies, which are created in the image of God. That's right. You know, so for us to go just any old route we want to go, would we would say as Christians, we, we basically um, can take what's supposed to be used for the glory of God, our bodies, mm. our lives, and we could actually uh bring shame upon it mm. you know yeah and and i like how you put that, that that we could turn it to shame or we could turn it into our own destruction basically mm-hmm. and uh if you look back in genesis when adam and eve are created the first thing in the creation that god looks at and says it's not good is the fact of man's loneliness that man lacked a certain intimacy in his life Mm-hmm. And what God is saying is that what man needed was he needed someone, a helpmate that was comparable to him. Mm. So in that way, no animal, no angel, and not even God could fill that gap in man's heart because God is not like us. He's not comparable to us. He's mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. So God had to create uh, someone, and we believe that was Eve, out of man who is exactly of our same essence and likeness. Now, why would he need to do that? Well, the reason that we believe as Christians is because our God is very unique in that he is intimate with himself. He has three different persons within his being, and each one of those persons is comparable to the other. The Son is comparable to the Father. He's not a lesser being. He is comparable to the Father. And the Father is comparable to the Son, and the Father and Son are comparable to the Holy Spirit. They're distinct, separate, yet unified Mm. within the being of God. And so what God, when God created us in his image and likeness, what we were lacking in that moment was we were lacking an intimacy. We were lacking a community with someone comparable to us. Mm-hmm. So he gave us that community in Eve. But uh, more importantly than that, when we get to the New Testament, what's really cool and what blows my mind is that in the Old Testament and the creation, it never mentions that we were married to God in the garden. It never says that. But when we get into the covenants that God made with the Israelites and, more importantly, the covenant that he has made in the last days through his son, all of a sudden we're described as the bride of Christ in this unique way. Mm-hmm. Well, how did that happen? Well, we as Christians believe that God wasn't comparable to man, but in humility and in meekness, he took on the image of man and he bore our sins, died for our sins, and now is resurrected as a man still. Mm -hmm. So now he is, in a way, comparable to us so that we can join in a relationship like that with him. Mm -hmm. So that means that we as Christians, 
we're called to a level of intimacy with our Creator that even the Jews didn't have. Because the Jews, they had, if you read the Old Testament, you see people hanging out with God uh, every now and then. Not a lot of them. You know, but you had the yeah. priests, the kings, and, and some people a were able to hang out. select group. Very select. Very select. And only for a purpose. But even those guys, when you read them, it, it's like they, they had a relationship with God, but it still was based on works. If you didn't do the right thing, God could just wipe you out. I think the most classic example was that of the high priest. Mm. The high priest could go once a year into the very presence of God, into the Holy of Holies, but he could only do that if he was carrying the blood of a spotless lamb. And he could only do that if he first offered up an offering for his own sins. Mm. If he didn't do that right, God could just wipe him out right in that moment because there was an unholiness there. There was a there was a violation of God's nature and character inside of man that wouldn't allow us to go into that level of intimacy with him. Mm. But because of what the Son has done for us, now we have this brand new relationship type with God, yeah. where God relates to his people now as a loving husband, mm-hmm. which kind of freaks some of us out, that yeah. God would be that close, that intimate, that near to us, that loving towards us, that passionate about us. A lot of us would be far more comfortable just thinking of God as like, you know, he's he's like God. He loves me like a like a dad or, or like a boss. Like right. I, I could get that, you know. But right. believing that Jesus looks at us the way that Solomon looked at the Shulamite in the Song of Solomon, and he and he adores us that way. That he sings songs over us, like in Zephaniah three. That that kind of makes people uncomfortable a little mm-hmm. bit. And and why do you think that is, Bo? I don't know. I think people <laughs> people have a struggle with intimacy in general. <laughs> um, you know, the idea of intimacy is usually related in a negative way within uh, the church. Mm-hmm. And I think when you look at church history, you see the pendulum just constantly swinging uh, either one side or the other. You know, where there's a, a huge licentiousness in the church or there's a huge uh, swing towards purity uh, to the point of where any kind of any kind of idea of joy and sex or something like that becomes really, really gnarly, like no-no, yeah. you know? Um, and I think, too, just in our own modern culture, I mean, in church culture, there's a, you know, because we don't want to go to the place of licentiousness, mm. you know, uh, we tend to flip that that pendulum to the other side yeah. and where we keep sexuality very secret, very private. And in some ways, that's a good thing. You know, to be somewhat private in that area um, and exclusive, obviously. Um, but sometimes it can be to the detriment of education, meaning yeah. you're not educating anybody on it. Yeah. So um, no one really knows what to do, and hence um, there's not much communication in a family or things like that. But I, I think that's why people look at to ideas like the Bride of Christ or this, the Song of Solomon and, and see that intimacy and go, whoa, you know. Like that, that like a man. I don't know if I I feel too comfortable with that. And I think a lot of times parents, um, there's not a lot of intimacy just in parenting in general, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, a lot of times we don't we don't just aren't comfortable around this idea of um, this kind of romantic God, mm-hmm. you know, who's who's kind of wooing us and who's longing to be with us and his eyes are just on us all the time and you know this type of thing and um you know um obviously 
there's there's uh, you know when you think of like nudity and things like that, a lot of times they're like, oh hey, can you turn on the lights? I'm gonna you know get nude. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like there's that real <clears throat> prudeness to it. Yeah. Um, even in marriages, sometimes it can be like that where it's like, don't look at me. Yeah. You know, there's just this 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 cultural um, church cultural thing of of, yeah. of it being you know bad. Looking yeah. as dirty, as dirty. defiled, and I think in the Bible too, it becomes a little. It could become very confusing. Yeah. Because let's face it, um, the Bible has a lot of things to say that um, um, are very uh, negative about people's sexual practices mm. in the Bible. But you know, I would like. I would also say that the Bible also uh, says a lot of um, positive things when it comes to. Uh, sexual um, allegory mm. um, in, in the Bible that's very positive about God and about his people. Yeah. Um, so you, you, it could become confusing to people, you know, and if you stress, I think, one of them at the expense of the other, yeah. um, you can fall into uh, some trouble. And that's why it's important, I think, for anybody just to read through the Bible. Yeah. I mean, when I just read through the Bible, I get to Genesis and I get to, you know, just the early parts and I get to, and Adam knew Eve, his wife. And I thought that was so cool, yeah. you know, because it uses this word, Adam knew Eve. He knew her. Mm. You know, the intimacy of sex is you get to know somebody, Yeah. you know, and, um, and it's, and it right there, it's not just, you know, this idea of man, like I'm gonna have sex with that person. And, yeah. and it's all about sex. You yeah. know what I mean, and and that kind of thing. But it's this idea of knowing. Yeah. You know, this intimate knowing. Yeah. You know, which I thought was really unique because that's different from the culture. A lot of times, cultural ideas of sex. Yeah. You know, usually sex isn't really about knowing one another. It's about fulfilling a, an orgasm. Yeah. You know, and so, but this is talking about hey, Adam knew his wife. Um, and that's cool because when you go to the New Testament, you see this idea of God knowing us. Mm. And I love this passage in, I think it's Galatians, where Paul says, not that I, I know God, but that he knows me. Yeah. And, um, and, it's, and it's cool because it, it's the same type of uh, word that is being used. It's this idea of, of knowing someone through experience. Mm. You know, by experience, getting to know somebody. Yeah. And so just as just as it's you see it used when it comes to sex in the Old Testament, this idea of knowing. Yeah. So the same idea is used with God yeah. and his people. Yeah. And, you know, God knows us. Yeah. And I think Jesus said it so beautifully, too, where he says, no one knows the father but the son. Right. And no one knows the son but the father. And the one whom the Son chooses to reveal. Right. So there's this like beautiful idea that Jesus is getting at that he's like, dude, me and the Father are so intimate. Yeah. Dude, nobody knows my dad like I do. Like we are just so exclusively intimate. But he says, but if you know me, if my Father wills it, man, then you will know us. Like you're gonna know both of us in yeah. this in this way. And I. I mean, what a beautiful promise that Jesus gives us. Yeah, and, and and I think that's the Christian idea of intimacy that might be different from what people think. And that is, see, our God is intimate because he's that unique one of of a group, of mm-hmm. a community, um, and which is taught in the Old Testament. 
and it's taught in the New Testament. Mm. This idea of God being unique. He's I'm um, not going to get into all that. We've talked about it before. Yeah. But when it comes to the idea of knowing, I think of John chapter 17, where Jesus is talking about, um, you know, his relationship with the Father. And he mm-hmm. talks about them becoming one. They they are one. Yeah. And that um, and that they have this unique unity yeah. that he desires for uh, the people of the earth mm-hmm. to have with Jesus, yeah. with him. And he... He just as Jesus has this unique uh, unity with the Father, mm. um, and it's something that is, um, you know, they know. It says that they know one another. Mm. They are known by each other. You know, as you pointed out, um, it talks about they are in one another. Yeah. You know, and and th- then we get into these words of just as I am in the Father, so you will be in me. Yeah. You know, John 17 is loaded with these Old Testament sexual terms of to know and to be in yeah and and so we have a a, the christian viewpoint is that the first cause god of all things is incredibly intimate within himself Mm -hmm. and so he makes us creatures that are able to experience a unity um uh as he's a unity we get to experience a unity in the sexual act. Now, I wanna, I wanna just make sure we we help people out. We're not saying God has sex. Yeah. You know, again, we're not saying that yeah. God doesn't have sex. Um, and that way, we're different from uh, Mormon theology. Mm-hmm. You know, which actually teaches that God has sex. We believe God is spirit, mm-hmm. and that's what we believe: is God is spirit. But yet he's revealed himself as the Father and as the Son and as the Holy Spirit. Mm. Okay? And he, he works in those three dimensions, if you will, those three ways. And so we're not saying God has sex, but he has a community. He has this unique intimacy. And we're not saying sex when we mean intimacy with God. We're just talking this unique relationship mm. of community, uh, which is bound by uh, love. Mm. Um, that we, as human beings, can experience that mm. in a community of our own. And that's what the Bible calls marriage, mm. that we can experience that community there. And then we experience this knowing and this being in, Yeah, you know. It's kind of, because in the Old Testament, you know, it says, right, that someone's into someone. What does <laughs> it mean when it says that? Yeah. Is there in them? <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think you've been touching on this point. I think it's just so cool uh, how, how we've been going over this. But uh, in in Genesis, after the fall, the first thing that man and women do is they cover themselves, right? So they had a nudity, they had a nakedness, and they had this intimate, this close intimacy with each other and with God. And the second that they fell, they gained this shame of how they looked. And, and I think that if we read that and we apply that to our own lives, I think all of us would understand the truth of it, that the reason why we fear intimacy with others and the reason why we're, as you put it, Bo, almost like scared a little bit of sex and scared of intimacy with, with each other and with God is, is because we understand something as human beings, to have sex, to be intimate with another person, not just sexually, but in an emotional level, uh, or even an intellectual level, it requires a level of vulnerability. And it requires a level of me 
being so fragile in front of another human being that their rejection could destroy me. Mm-hmm. And for the majority of us, the reason why we're so afraid of intimacy is because intimacy has been violated for us at some point. Mm. Whether, And I'm not just talking about p- those of us who have been sexually assaulted, which I know there are quite a few people who have mm-hmm. uh, who are listening to this, but I- I'm also talking about... Be trying to be intimate with like your your dad and just being rejected, not feeling like your dad is interested in having a relationship with you, or, or trying to to be close to your mom, or trying to be close to a brother or sister, and and them pushing you aside and not wanting to be with you, uh, or maybe you had a really good idea of what sexuality was supposed to be, and you had your first boyfriend girlfriend, and you were vulnerable in front of them, and you had that love turned against you. But no matter what happened to you, what the Bible is saying to us is the first person that we're uncomfortable with having intimacy with is God. Because it says in Hebrews 4, all things are naked and laid bare before him. And that freaks us out because we're like, here's a guy who I don't have a choice but to be vulnerable in front of him because he sees everything I've done. He sees everything that's in my heart. He sees every flaw, every mistake I've ever made. And so I don't want to get close to God just like dark darkness doesn't like to get close to light and so because i keep god at an arm's distance and i don't like to talk about this thing of intimacy with god and knowing him and being known by him it freaks me out if i can't even open myself up to another fallen human being who's just as jacked up as me how could i possibly open him up to myself to someone who is holy yeah and who's pure who has no faults no flaws no mistakes inside of him it freaks us out but if we don't do this, if we don't learn how to do this, learn how to how to accept the love that Jesus has for us, right? Not that we loved him, but that he first loved us and gave his son for us as a propitiation. If we don't learn how to do that, we'll never learn how to actually love God. And if we can't learn how to love God, we'll never learn how to love people mm. in that vulnerable way. Yeah. And and that's, that's one of the problems that we get inside of Christianity where uh, people, they... they they fear intimacy for those reasons. They're afraid of it. They're afraid of what it might lead to. Mm-hmm. They've seen the ravages of it. And so, so many of us just, we get the the idea that we could just be almost asexual, if you know what I mean. Yeah. We're just like, dude, shut oh, it all and almost, down. Almost that, that's more of a holy stance. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And thing is, is, things come into the, you know, with that vulnerability, especially in a world that we live in, you have all kinds of things. Pornography. You have the idea of maybe pulling the pendulum the other way in your marriage and going asexual route, saying yeah. maybe not emphasizing sexuality, yeah. right? And so you can go either way, yeah. you know? And, and, and the problem is, is in a marriage, you can look at that and you can go, hey, you know what? Um, it, it's just uh, because I get hurt, because my wife's not having sex with me, or maybe my husband is viewing pornography or however, things like that, maybe what's happening is, um, you know, you you um you don't want to work on the marriage you know yeah. you don't want to you don't want to say hey you know what i'm going to have some mercy here i'm going to i'm going to try to find out what my husband's thinking or what my uh, by his pornography use or i'm going to talk to him about it and yeah. and and really find out why he does it you know what i mean find out what he likes about it or mm. find out those things or, or i'm going to find out why my wife doesn't like sex and and or you know what I mean? I'm just using traditional kind of right, things, right. but it could be vice versa, obviously. Yeah. But 
Um, you know what I mean? But you can, you, you know, instead of really, because that intimacy becomes like, do I really want to draw close to this intimate guy or this girl because they're hurting me? Yeah. You know, and that's, that's, that's not what we want to do. We want to be able to say, hey, God's an intimate God. I have to learn um, how to become intimate mm. with my spouse. And, and, and in this world, I hate to tell you guys, but everybody's going to fail. Yeah. You know, meaning that you're going to fail on either side. Mm. You're going to fail at some point of maybe being uh, sensual, meaning, meaning sensual beyond what what uh, is prescribed, so to speak. Yeah. Um, or you're going to become, you're going to get into that mode of asexuality of just going, hey, I'm going to shut her down. Yeah. You know what I mean? And sex isn't really a big deal. Yeah. You know, um, and both avenues um, are not are not good. Um, because God is a passionate God and God is an intimate God. Mm. He's created us to reflect his glory mm. um, through marriage to reflect this unique oneness of his yeah. in community with our relationship with our spouse. Yeah. So we have to be communicating um, to one another, mm. you know, and that's scary because, you know, for, for a wife, it might be like, hey, well, I want to be. Uh, you know, yeah, I don't mind being intimate with my husband, but, you know, I can never be what he wants me to be because he's into pornography. Yeah. You know, and, and they, they might need to be some talks there that are really serious. Yeah. You know, and, and really, and really you have to just hear people out, mm. you know, on, you know, what he's doing and why he does what he does. And, you know, and he might respond in a different way. He might say, well, hey, you know, the reason I view it is because I want to be with you. You know, I just, yeah. I, I just, we're not, and, you know, I don't, you know, I really don't know what to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, but she, you know, but she might want to talk to him too and say, hey, well, I'm struggling because of some other things. You know what I mean? And, and you know, and because intimacy is such a sketchy, you know, is because it, there's such a potential for um, hurt. You know, I could see it, both parties kind of wanting to shut it down, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's why it's easy for, I think that's why pornography thrives so much too, you know? And not just pornography, but anything, massage parlors, strip clubs, um, you know, I think that's why the licentious side of it, that's why it thrives so much um, in one set. Even things like, um, even like romance novels, it's because there's just not really a, the attachment there. Yeah. You yeah, know. it gets it puts up that wall of protection. That yeah, I'm, not, I'm close, but I'm not too close where you could hurt me. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, I I really like what you're talking about about the understanding. I kind of want to go back to it real quick because uh, I love how the Bible uses that word to know someone mm-hmm. as the the way of intimacy. Mm-hmm. So if I want to be intimate with my wife, it's not just about me having sex with her. It's about me knowing her, like really understanding her. And that means that when the flaws come up, not if, but when they come up, I'm willing to understand them and to um, to hopefully press through them, right? And, and obviously me and Bo are not talking about if you're in a situation where you're with a spouse who is abusing or, or just completely unrepentant and just going down their path and they don't care. Mm-hmm. But if there's someone who's truly repentant and wants to change, then I need to understand why they do what they do. Uh, so I could not be so hateful towards it, but I could actually um, help in the situation. This is this is a quote from a woman who's, by the way, not a Christian, but she deals with divorce. 
Uh, and she says this after a, an affair. She says, even more important is to curve this curiosity uh, to mind for the sort of details. Where were you? Where did you do it? How often? Is she better in bed? Questions that only inflict more pain and keep you awake at night. But instead, switch to what I call the investigative uh, questions, the ones that mind the meaning and the motives. What did this affair mean to you? What were you able to express or experience there that you can no longer do with me? Mm. What was it like for you when you came home? What is it about uh, what is it about us that you value? Are you pleased this is over? Right? And um, every affair will define, redefine a relationship, and every couple will determine what legacy the affair will be. But affairs are here to stay, and they're not going away. And the dilemma of love and desire, they don't yield just simple answers of black and white, good and bad, and victim and perpetrator. Betrayal in a relationship comes in many forms. There are many ways that we betray our partner, with contempt, with neglect, with indifference, with violence. Sexual betrayal is only one way to hurt a partner. Mm. In other words, the victim of an affair is not always the victim of the marriage. Mm. And, and I think that what she's getting at is so insightful. And the idea, if I want my marriage to work, if I want this intimacy with this person to work, first of all, I have to do the exact opposite of I want to, what I want to do and take down my walls and be vulnerable to someone that I know might hurt me. And secondly, I need to get to know them and understand why they're going the ways that they're going and do another thing that violates my senses, and that is to actually help them in this thing that they're struggling with, right? And where is our example? Well, it's Christ, right? For the love of his bride, he became like us so that he can relate to us. He endured every suffering and struggle that you and I will ever go through, Mm -hmm. and he loved his bride to death. He literally let his bride crucify him, understanding that it was for her betterment. So here's our grand example or beautiful example of a God who wasn't afraid to be hurt by someone he loved but understood going in that like to love an imperfect person means to endure suffering but the benefit is love right we could obviously close ourselves off to it and I think you mentioned the two ways to protect yourself to either go over sensual Mm -hmm. and just like not look at it as a big deal or to go asexual and just kind of shove it away ignore it but either way, you're blocking out love. You're blocking out the, the ability to have true, genuine intimacy with another human being. Yeah. And, and that's obviously not what God wants for us. Yeah, and I think in today's world, you have to, for a marriage to thrive today, you have to be able to talk about the, um, these issues. Mm-hmm. You have to be open to talk about issues of pornography. You, you can't just hide in especially in today's world you know you could 50 years ago you know what i mean (laughs) yeah you could hide it you know what i mean but today with it being so prevalent as it is today um and it's so in your face today um that that it's something where you have to learn as a married couple to talk about these issues Mm. you can't let the issue themselves become um the a breaking point in your marriage you know these issues because they are in our culture Mm. you know so we have to i would imagine that the corinth culture and the ephesus culture that's in your bibles these these people needed to talk about these issues you know and and what's interesting is that when you look at how god communicates with israel um about the issues of their spiritual lives i mean he uses sexual 
talk, he's talking to them, he uses all these analogies of sexual situations, mm. uh, of harlotry and prostitution and, and group sex. And, I mean, it's pretty wild. Yeah. Um, but, you know, God is not afraid to go there and say, hey, you know, I love you. My relationship with you means something. Mm. We need to talk about this. Yeah. You know, we need to talk about prostitution. We need to talk about temptations. We need to talk about, you know, your sexual fantasies. We need to talk about these type of things. Mm. You know, um, you know, the days of just having your marriage be um, where, you know, you guys, you know, one goes to work, one stays home with the kids, and you guys don't talk about these intimate things. They're just over, mm. you know. They're just, they're too much being, they're too much there. If you don't talk about them, then... And some people choose not to. But what happens is, you, again, you don't grow in any form of intimacy. You just constantly grow apart and apart and apart and apart, you know. But in order to in, in order to be intimate, you know, in even a, a level of communication with vulnerable situations, you have to have one thing under your belt as a couple, and that is you're on the same team. And that you guys are wanting to grow in your walk with God. Mm. And, you know, if if you have that under your belt, that you guys are on the same team and you're wanting to grow in your walk with God, you can talk about anything, mm. you know. And you're going to be hurt. You're going to be bummed. That's human reaction to disappointment, you know. But then we realize that, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're on the same team and we're wanting to glorify God. And, mm. And and that means we want to forgive one another and we want to work with each other, mm. you know, in, in these situations. So, um, you know, the intimacy is an investment. And, uh, and it's so cool because even even atheists can't get away from it, meaning intimacy is, is wired into us, you know. Um, you know, someone might say, well, you know, you know, because we evolved, you know, there's some sense of community, you know, in us. Um, and that's that, that might be their interpretation, mm. but but really we have really human beings though develop on a much more unique kind of com- community than just that. Yeah. You know where we have we have we have a specific way that we look at communication and we look at community and we look at intimacy with a person, mm. where we can't just think oblivious about things about mm. things sexually. We can't just do that we can do that for a period of time but then it kind of we hit a rut (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know what i mean yeah and then there's something in the human being that goes you know i don't think my wife should be committing adultery on me Mm. you know i just i i don't like that anymore you know or i just don't think that you know my husband should be going and doing this you know there's something in us whether you're christian or not christian you know, that says no. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like we're wired in a specific way. Yeah. To say, hey, no, that's that's not right. Yeah. You know, that isn't because God, you know, in his uniqueness would never abandon himself. Yeah. You know, and um, and that's why people get hooked up on, well, did God abandon Jesus? If Jesus is God, the son, was he abandoned? Mm-hmm. And the answer is no. There, yeah. It was the atonement, and there's all you know. There's all these answers for that. Yeah. But um, you know, God would never abandon Himself. So there's something in us that are, are wired in those ways. Yeah. You know that we shouldn't abandon each other. I think that's you know? so good that you brought that up because that is, that is really a, a huge problem that's in our culture and our civilization right now, 
the idea that we're having intimacy without commitment. Mm-hmm. Where we have intimate, and when I say intimacy, I do mean sex. When we're, we're having sex with one another without any form of commitment or foundation that, hey, I'm not going to leave you or abandon you or right. forsake you. Right. And that's not the way that God did it. And the reason why our hearts reject that so much is because we are made in the image and likeness of God. And, and it's it's rooted in you whether you like it or not. Right. That right. Like, dude, how could I be intimate? really genuinely vulnerable in front of my wife if in the back of my head I was like I I know she's going to leave me yeah you know I know she's not she doesn't take this seriously she's going to abandon me you could never do that as a human being Uh, I mean how could you be naked in front of another person and be that vulnerable with them in the act of sex and, and really open up to them and really know them in the way the Bible says that sex should be, that it shouldn't just be a recreation for an orgasm, but it's really an intimacy that's deep and personal and sacred. Yeah. How could you do that with another person if you didn't have some sort of commitment? Yeah, and I and, and I think when people when people say like today, like, well, hey, it happens, you know, polyandry, whatever, yeah. you know, these type of things, like we're learning how to how to negotiate sexuality apart from maybe that old traditional, you know, kind of wiring of 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 this knowing and intimacy and yeah. loving kind of thing. We're kind of detaching. We're learning how to detach from it. But I, I, I think that, first of all, that's been tried many times in history. Yeah. Um, so it's not like we're the first culture that has tried it. Yeah, and you can just read how it went for them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you can read how it goes. But yeah. I think what has prolonged it maybe today, uh, the idea more than anything, is technology, mm-hmm. is, the, is medicine, is the ability to cover up the consequences mm-hmm. of it. So when you look at, when you look at, um, that kind of lifestyle of just, hey, yeah, we're learning how to cultivate this new society that sees sex as a, in a different way from really an intimacy with loving and that kind of thing. We're seeing it more in this kind of recreational way, and we're learning how to have a new society in that way. The only way that's happening, the only reason why there's any kind of longevity of it, mm. um, whether it's homosexuality or extreme forms of heterosexuality like uh, polygamy and things like that, or polyandry or whatever, um, is that we have medicines to be able to cover up certain things. Yeah. I mean, because you have 20 million new um, STDs every year in the country. So it's not like, you know what I mean? So yeah. you got incredible you know, statistics on the amount of sex um, diseases that are happening in the country. Yeah. You know, but you have a lot of medicines that people are utilizing to try to help out and try to deal with those things. Yeah inoculated ourselves that's right so so that's that's it you know i think you know um i think the only way it would thrive completely in a society is if you could if you could if medicines comes to a place where it says oh yeah you know we got we know how to take care of aids yeah we know how to take care of uh 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 what is it uh Chlamydia. Chlamydia, yeah. Sort of like Brave New World. You know? That's right, Brave yeah. New World. And that's it. And that's that's what you that's that's what I think is like, you know, um, you know, medicine and these type of things uh lead to the progress of those things. Mm. Because these things are not new. None of none of the sexuality that we talk about t- today is nothing new under the sun. Mm. It's always thrived. It's always tried to thrive in society, but it, it can't thr- it can't thrive. Uh, it's always naturally just had to move, go down. Yeah. You know, it can't progress. Um, so, 
intimacy is, uh, you know, obviously the way to go according to the Word of God. Why? Because God is intimate. Yeah. And so Christians should have, you know, um, an enjoyable, intimate life, mm. you know. So we'll talk about, we'll end it there, that podcast. But, man, good stuff. You guys can always check us out at runninglight.org. If you have questions, you can always email Peter at Peter at runninglight.org or Bo at runninglight.org. We'd love to um, um, hear your guys' questions for sure on the topics. Okay, so uh, we'll see you guys next week. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.